listening to the Soil Talk podcast. I am your host, Tim Mundorf, Nutrient Management Lead with Central Valley Ag. In Soil Talk, we will dive into managing soil fertility and applied nutrients while pursuing top yield. So, Mick, I know you've spent a lot of time working on starter fertilizers in your career. You know, when I think of starter as, a, you know, kind of a farm boy and, and not having a lot of background in, in ag retail or vendor side of it, I think of 103040. I mean, that's just kind of what everybody called starter. But there's a lot more options out there than 103040. So what what's your experience with starter? Have you got some favorites? And I, I'm sure it differs by crop. So give us a little of that. Tim, I'll tell you what, I don't consider 103040 even a starter. I consider that a fertilizer. And when I think of a, a starter, I'm thinking of a blended product. Uh, you know, if we're going two by two, an 820 triple nickel mm-hmm. uh, certainly is a great blended product, easy to make. Everybody can make it. If we're talking in furrow, then we need to think about salt content and think keeping that salt content down low enough that it's seed safe and uh, i like to see npk a little less and a little zinc and zinc and then a little bit of manganese in in my starters that's a nice mix yeah so when you talk about that triple nickel that's going to be a five percent potassium is that five percent sulfur and uh, 0.5 on the zinc is that Correct. that breakdown yeah i knew that is that is pretty popular especially as we get out here kind of into central nebraska a lot of guys have played with that one for a lot of years and had really good success with it when we talk about uh salt salt index salinity all that kind of thing you know, guys will say, well, you, you can't put nitrogen and you can't put potassium in a starter fertilizer. What's your thoughts on that? Certainly, we have we get the nitrogen because we start out any blended starter, we're starting out with a base of 103040. We're going to get the nitrogen as a carry-on. And we're not going to try to put UAN in furrow. Uh, we're not going to put thiosol in furrow. We're not going to put KTS in furrow because those are saltier products. Now, you and I have put uh, some thiosol in furrow inadvertently Oops. and got away with it. But it takes rain. It takes a lot of rain. So, But you get some of these products, and we have, we have low-salt potassium, potassium hydroxide as a, as a case source that doesn't carry as much salt. Now, when we say low-salt, even these low-salt starters still have salt in them. Right. Fertilizer is salt. That's that's the way it is. But they have a low lower amounts of salt that allows us to put them on the seed and be safe. Yep. So when we think a little bit about those uh, those different products, like you said, when you take something like a little bit of uh, ammonium thiosol or a little bit of uh, soluble potassium chloride, those are high salt products. Those you've got to be really careful with. If that's in furrow, it's got to be at really low rates or frankly, it belongs in the two by two anyway. And that, which brings up another thing, you know, sometimes we talk starters and we're talking in furrow. Well, sometimes we talk pop-ups. Now, pop-ups are always in furrow. Starter, it, it just depends who you're talking right. to. So you need to clarify. Some guys are talking in furrow. Other guys are talking a two-by-two. The two-by-twos, a lot of guys have gone away from them because you got a 16 or 24-row planter. That's a lot of wheels, little cutting wheels you got to stick in the ground. So some guys are doing those dribble over the top or dribble off to the side. What are your thoughts on some of those different placement methods? You know, my personal favorite, Tim, is is in furrow as a pop-up because you're right there where the first roots start to reach out and can grab those nutrients right away. I have nothing against the two-by-two or the dribble to the side or the dribble over the closed furrow. Uh, 
I just have a preference because that's what I like to run. Now, uh, you, you're talking about different ways of applying it. I, there's probably as many ways of applying a starter as there are opinions. Yeah, and, isn't that the truth? You know, so I've spent some time looking in, at different things. And if you take the same analysis that is seed safe and go in furrow versus two by two, year in and year out, you're, you'll see some changes, some differences in those. But if you took 10 years of data and compiled it, as long as we're getting that starter out there where the plant can get it early and do what a starter is intended for is to get that corn plant or soybean plant off to a good start, get the nutrients into it early, and then get it, let the roots take over and, and do the rest. I agree with you, Mick, you know, and the data supports that, that it really doesn't make a lot of difference in the two by two versus the infro. The one time I really do think harder about it, uh, especially if I'm planting early. So when, and when I'm talking early, I'm talking first week of April. If I'm working with a grower who really wants to push up the planting date, and I've had a few that uh, in eastern Nebraska, western Iowa, that'll do a, a late March planting with corn, which is you know, I, I, it's not something I would advise the average grower because you're really, really asking for trouble. But if a guy's going to really push his planting date up and there's a good chance that that plant is going to have a real tough time growing the first, you know, three, four weeks, then then I like the, the pop-up or the in-furrow more than the two-by-two two to get nutrients to that plant who just, he's, it's going to take him off where he can get out to that two-by-two that, uh, two, uh, uh, high fertility zone that's out there. So that's the one time I do kind of separate it off. When you think about things to put in the starter, so we talked about, you know, just a little bit of nitrogen. Phosphorus is, phosphorus is always the big one we think about with a starter fertilizer. You know, small root system, plants got quite a bit of uptake, you know, relatively speaking for phosphorus early in that season, you know, the, the V2 to the V6. So we talk about phosphorus a lot. You mentioned a little bit potassium. It's potassium needs a lot of times, you know, the big needs are later in the season, but having a little out there. What else do you want to make sure is in there? Zinc. Yeah, number one. Number yeah. one zinc. Yeah, almost ahead of phosphorus, right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, that zinc and phosphorus ha have such a symbiotic relationship and uptake. If we don't, that's and that's why I don't consider 1034-0 a starter. There's yep. no zinc there. Yep. And if we want to get phosphorus into the plant, we need to take some zinc along with it in the way that the plant metabolizes that. So uh, the zinc is there. Uh Sulfur, just a little bit of sulfur, a little bit of manganese. And to me, that makes a complete blended starter that works very well. Yeah, that should that should work out real well. I know we talked about boron in one of our previous episodes, and we talked about how that one just flat out did not belong in furrow. Never, ever in furrow. Yeah. You, will, you will make stubby roots, and you will turn corn plants white. Yep. Now, you could do it in that two-by-two, two, but it needs to be a really light rate. When I talk a light rate, I'm talking less than a tenth of a pound per acre. It'd be exactly. a number I'm comfortable yeah. with. When you talk about zinc, now, I like zinc in that pop-up. I like that one right in furrow. Now, you might want to go with a chelated product. You know, it's going to be a fairly low rate. If you want to go with something a little stronger, then a more that's probably more the two-by-two two play, I suppose. Yes. Uh, you know, Tim, another thing is, is a lot of guys think about starters. Well, it's, it's liquid. You know, we do probably in our geography have a, a few guys that are still running a dry starter, but I really don't see a dry starter program anymore. Uh, not like we did 20 years ago. But 
everybody thinks, oh, they're liquids. We can just keep adding more and more and more. Well, sorry, but these are salts and they can only hold so much in solution. And then we start to fall out. I've seen guys take a complete blended starter and think, okay, I'm going to add more zinc and more manganese to it because I want it to fit my farm. And unfortunately, what I, what happens is you get a phone call and saying, hey, your starter's junk because it's falling out of solution. And you start to investigate and here it is, they're adding more zinc, more manganese, and they're trying to throw more nutrients in and it's just falling apart And because there's not enough water. If we're gonna add something to that, to that liquid starter, we've got to add a little bit more water so we can hold it in solution. And that means we need to push our rates up a little bit. And that means we got to put more gallons out there on the tractor. And when we've got a planter with a big center fill tank, that's, that's a big challenge with starters. We get a lot of compromises. A guy wants a lot of fertility, but he only wants to put out three gallons because he's got a center fill planter and he doesn't want to have to stop more often for fertilizer than he has to stop for seed. Exactly. And... <laughs> You know, we can't, we're not feeding this. The starter is not to feed the whole crop, Tim. That's what we got to keep in mind. It's to get it in the, we'll use corn, for example, to get it to V5, V6 when those roots can really take off and explore the soil and get the nutrients, the rest of the nutrients they need. So let's get back to that in 10340. And like you said, you know, you consider 10340 really not a starter. It's got to have other things in it. But that's actually one of the advantages of 10340, that ammonium polyphosphate. It does a really good job of holding a lot of other nutrients if you if you want to throw some other things in there. I think one of the things we run into is, is the whole ortho versus polyphosphate deal. So, you know, ammonium polyphosphate, it's polyphosphate. So those do have to convert to orthophosphate phosphates before the plant can take it up. But those polyphosphates are the things that will allow 1034-0 to hold more nutrients in, I'll call it suspension, but it's really uh, in, a, in a solution versus those orthophosphates. You start going to orthophosphates, which are a higher quality starter. It, it's an orthophosphate, so it's available to the plant. But in that ortho form, a lot of times it can't hold other nutrients in solution near as much as that 1034-0 it can. And people get in trouble with that. Definitely. Uh, you know, you, you start having the orthos and, and you, you have a fine line there. And, and when they develop these blended starters, they're blending them to the, almost to the maximum. So it doesn't fall out of solution. And just a couple drops of something can just throw that whole thing out of suspension and, and, or, or solution. And, create an issue for you. Yep. Uh, so a guy's used to a 1034-0 and he's used to adding everything under the sun into it. And then he, con he converts over to a high quality starter, you know, that's got more ortho in it. And he says to himself, well, this is high quality. I should be able to do all kinds of things here without it falling out. And the opposite is true. Exactly. Yeah. So as we, as we look at that ortho versus poly, and I think, you know, ortho versus poly is about like opinions, right? There, everybody has one kind of like one other thing that everybody has, right? When you talk about ortho versus poly, I, I think a lot about planting date. Again, it kind of goes back to that planting really early, and it's kind of my my, you know, my pop-up versus my two-by-two. Two. I want some orthophosphate in there if I'm planting really early because it takes heat and it takes some biological activity to convert that poly to an ortho so it's available to the plant. If I'm going early, I might think about getting a product that's already got some ortho in it. Now, generally, they're not all ortho, but they're a combination ortho and polyphosphate. 
you know, to me, Tim, I got a little different opinion. Uh, well, we know what those mean, right? Exactly. Uh, but ortho or poly doesn't really make that much difference. Uh, orthos are a cleaner product. They're a little, little easier to work with, uh, in my opinion. Uh, the polys, uh, they got more greasiness to them. If, you're, if you get them on your clothes, uh, they'll be stickier at the end. Uh, you know, you think about the corn plant, and when we're going early, you think about soil temperature. You put that seed in the ground, it's not going to germinate till that soil temperature is warm enough. As that soil temperature warms, that that poly is going to convert to ortho just as fast as that seed is starting to germinate and become available. That's so. a good point. You know, a lot of times a plant's not going to have a root system anyway if, if the ground's not warmed up. So what difference yeah. does it make? It, you know, if you have an ortho sitting there versus a poly and, and the soil temperature's 45 degrees, does it really matter? Yeah. It doesn't matter. As that soil warms, that, that ortho is going to start to convert. Yeah. I know what some guys are doing, or you mean the poly is going to start to convert. Yeah, I know what you meant. What some guys will do, and these are guys that are really thinking outside the box, is they'll have two separate systems, you know, two separate tanks, two separate plumbing systems. We talked about that before. And the ortho will go in furrow and the poly will go in the two by two. And with that poly, they're going to throw a whole bunch of other things and some things that are not seed safe. And that makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess it's time in our uh, in our uh, soil talk uh, podcast here to move over to a funny farm story. So I've got a got one for you here, Mick. This is years ago, and I had a, a friend who was basically the father-in-law of my uncle, World War II vet, um, been in farming a long time, but he had retired. And at the same time that you know he's he's getting older and been retired, but still helping out on the farm. I'm getting older now. I'm being able to take on some responsibility. I'm the oldest uh, grandson that's still on the farm. So I'm starting to do uh, a little bit more work out there. Anyway, I, I'm helping with harvest and we, we go out and we, we're just getting ready to pick and it's cold. I mean, it's like uh, 10 degrees outside. Uh, we're late with harvest, but we're needing to get some picking done. And we're going into a field that's across a stream from where the, the yard site is. So all the equipment, of course, is there at the farm site. We've got to move to this field that's across a stream and it doesn't have a bridge. It's got a, uh, a, a cut down slope down into the bank. The stream is probably... Oh, six to 10 foot across there. And it's got a nice gravel bottom they've put in. So it's literally a, a water crossing that you have to make with all the equipment. So of course, we're, the trucks can't make that. So we're going to leave the trucks out uh, closer to the, the road. But we've crossed this creek into the next field with the combine. And we're using the grain cart to move back and forth across there. And, and, uh, and this older gentleman, Glenn, he says to us that uh, that might be an issue for you, you guys crossing that creek and continuing to splash water up on either side and, and getting back across there. We're like, oh, no, that won't be a deal. You know, we got this this big new 4840 uh, John Deere tractor, got a lot of horsepower and it's new grain cart and we'll be fine going back and forth across there. And I'm running the grain cart. I make about, I don't know, four or five trips across there. And pretty soon I, you know, get down the bottom of the creek. I've slowed down a little bit and I... Uh, throw up a gear and hit the throttle and go, you know, barreling up the other side with that full load of grain. And I don't remember, it's maybe a 600 bushel grain cart at the time. And it doesn't make it. <laughs> We're spinning on up there. Pretty soon it starts going backwards. And I, I push the clutch in, put it in reverse. And, you know, I got to kind of carefully back the grain cart back up that water crossing because they've got uh, pilings on either side of where the gravel is. So it's easily could cut a tire on that grain cart. 
back up, you know, a ways as far as I can, because of course now I'm spinning the other way too. And then I hit it again and I make it about again, half third of the way up there, spins out, back up again, hit it again. I do this about three or four times. Finally, I call dad on the CB. Hey, I can't make it. And he's like, oh, baloney. He comes down there. He can't make it either. So we got to start hooking things on here to try to drag this tractor and grain cart out of the bottom of this creek. We've got a 2940 with front wheel assist and a loader. It's a fairly light tractor. And we hook that to it. And like, okay, we try to make a run at it, hook to it with the chain. And uh, no, it won't pull it out either. So we've got a Farmall M or we've got a four-wheel drive pickup. Well, we pick the, pick the pickup, full-time four-wheel drive, uh, hook that on there. And that doesn't do it either. We even pick up the front, the back of the pickup to add extra weight to the front of this 2940, which is front wheel assist onto it. That still won't do it. Finally give up and drive back to the other farm, which is like 15 miles away to go get an 8630 four-wheel drive deer to come back down there. Hook that onto that 4840 with a chain. Pull on it with that big 8630 and break the chain. And the chain comes clinking back across the cabin, just stops before it hits the windshield on that 4840. Finally get a bigger chain on it and finally drag that thing out of there after about, I don't know, two, three hours of messing around with it. And finally Glenn is like, yeah, you know, I think I mentioned this morning that that might be an issue for your guys. And yeah, he was right. So I, you know... As you get older, you're supposed to get smarter, but sometimes we got to learn these lessons over and over. It it takes learning those lessons over and over for some of us, Tim. And you're probably one of those. I'm probably worse than most. But yeah, when a guy tells you that he's been through this before and here's what's going to happen, I pretty much never believe him. I've got to screw it up myself to, to figure it out. So Mick, going back again to starter fertilizer, some guys will say, well, you know, I've got good soil fertility and I just don't want to spend the money. I don't see the return on starter fertilizers when, you know, I've got phosphorus up to 25, 30 part per million. I got good potassium. I got some some uh, sulfur I'm putting out there with my dry program. I'm good there. Why bother with starters? And gosh, I got this great big planter with this big center fill system on it. I don't want to spend money on starters. And I don't know if they do me any good anyway. What do you say? I'll just plug myself here and in our data from our ACS innovation sites last year, uh, we saw later planted corn, probably wouldn't necessarily need it, high fertility soils, and some tremendous starter responses. Uh, we averaged a little over 12 bushels of the acre across our innovation sites, and every one of them has a high for, had a, a high fertility level at that at those sites last year. Uh, definitely saw the response. Now, does starter pay for itself every year? Probably not. But if you average across 10 years, you're going to pay for that starter every time in that 10-year average. And it's going to make a difference because we can't control Mother Nature. And what happens when you stick that, that seed in the ground from that time till the roots can fend for themselves? If they have that starter, they can survive some some really unique situations, snow cover, uh, sleet, rain, hail, whatever, it can help them out. And so I say the starters are kind of a, it's a no brainer to me and it should be on every planter. Yeah. You know, you and I were digging plants this morning. We saw exactly that better root development for those plants that had fertility added to them. You know, bigger roots don't always result in better yield but they result in better yield more often than they don't. And exactly. when things go south on you and you get into a dry conditions and now you don't have much of a root system, that's a problem. 
you know, we could see it this year. If we if we would turn dry, we don't have a lot of roots under our under our plants at, at this point in time because they've been lazy and they've had moisture to live in. Uh, certainly, if we had a had extra root system this year and it would turn hot and dry, we could see the benefits of that starter easily enough. Absolutely. And I'll go back to my planting data. If you're moving planting data up and you're into that early April, and, and when I say that, I'm talking about, you know, east central Nebraska, west central Iowa, early April, as you go further south, and that might be even further early April or late March, and, and you're trying to maximize the use of that photosynthesis that we've got out there, maximize the use of the sunlight that's there. I really believe in starter as you go to earlier planting dates. Um, you know, and just like you said, um, last year we had some fields with 60 part per million phosphorus and we still got response to, to infero fertility. Some tremendous responses. So there you have it, folks. That's kind of our conversation about starter fertilizers. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Soil Talk. And with Mick Goat again, it's Tim Mundorf. And thanks for tuning in. Thank you for joining us today on Soil Talk. If you'd like to follow us, you can follow us on Twitter at ACS by CVA. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Central Valley Ag. If you'd like more information, visit cvacoop.com, and you can see our precision-focused blog videos every Thursday. With Soil Talk, this is Tim Mundorf. Mm-hmm.